Y'all sure look good tonight. Yeah. I want to uh, I want to begin reading a little passage of scripture from the 18th chapter of Luke, just a few verses. It came to me today as uh, you come to camp meeting with so many thoughts and so much on your mind as they all start gathering in and you hear so much good, so many good things, and it just makes the fire burn a little brighter. Oh yeah, yeah, amen. But some people seem to have their hearts become hard. But I believe that this sword of the spirit that we're delivering to you tonight can pierce the hardest heart, That's right. touch way down deep into the soul, yes, go through amen. all the masks, all the shells, all the fronts, amen. and get right into the heart of the matter. That's right. And he spake this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up into the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee and the other a publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus within himself, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the publican standing afar off. Would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful unto me, a sinner. Amen. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone that exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. I believe there's something about a prayer like that that touches the heart of God. Just moves the greatest power that created the universe. It is that prayer that He is forever listening. And maybe I use my imagination too much. But as I read through these scriptures and in so many places, it just seems to me like that is the most reverent prayer that could possibly be prayed. There's something about us. Now, the Pharisees said on one occasion in their discourse with Jesus, when he healed the blind man, they said, we know that God heareth not sinners. Right. Now, Jesus went on to expose them, and thankfully he said that ye are of your father the devil, and he is a liar from, in a, from the beginning and abode not in the truth, for he is a liar and the father of it. Now, I understand that God does not hear a sinner every prayer a sinner will pray. And you can't be with sin in your life and ask for divine protection and divine guidance and divine blessings and expect God to work things out in your life before you pray the publican's prayer. But when a heart is turned... And with nothing else to offer, not worried about whether everything works itself out or not, realizing your depravity and praying, God, be merciful unto me, a sinner. Amen. And all heaven hushes. Oh, yeah. Just those precious words ascending up to the throne. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I'm going to read you a prayer a man prayed. I don't...
This passage of scripture is familiar to you all. It is found in Psalm 51. And to give, talk to you just a minute about what brought this about. This was written by a, one of the heroes of the Old Testament, one of the heroes of the Bible. The little shepherd boy was tending the sheep cot and following the sheep, and God called him out and anointed him as a very young man and, and went on to slay the giant and deliver all of Israel. And he stayed so humble and he walked so well and was so wise and everything seemed like, like he didn't make any mistakes. He just carried himself in and out among the people with such, just such a way of God about him. He took that harp and just played with his hand. Evil spirits would run, flee from him. God's hand was on that man. He was anointed. He was anointed of God. When he began to come a little bit older and opposition began to come and everything that fell his way, he went to God with it. He knew how to pray. He escaped. God led him through the hand of Saul and brought to him the kingdom and eventually he rose to become king over Judah for seven years where he reigned in Jerusalem and then, I mean in Hebron, and then 30 and 3 years he reigned in Jerusalem over all Israel. And during this time, David was taken, as David's who I'm talking about, if I didn't mention that, in a temptation and found himself through the words of Nathan the prophet standing before God, guilty, marred, with deep, with blood of other men on his hands. Guilty of murder, guilty of adultery, guilty of lying, hiding, covering his sin. And Nathan, and, and the word of the Lord came to Nathan and he went in and expounded to him that parable and they, you know, David's anger was kindled. He began to say, Thou art the man. And thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I took thee from the sheep cot, from following the sheep. And he told him about all that he'd done for him. He delivered him out of the house from the hand of Saul and gave him to him thy master's house and thy master's wives into thy bosom and gave him the kingdom of Israel and of Judah. And if that had been too little, I would have given unto thee such and such things. Wherefore hast thou despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? Thou hast killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword and hast taken his wife to be thy wife and has slain him with the sword of the children of Ammon. And when the light came on and his heart condemned before God and before the man of God and all he could say was, I have sinned. And somewhere he stole away and I don't know, scriptures don't give the details but somewhere in his closet, somewhere alone, he poured his heart out to God. Yes, amen. He knew how to pray. And he penned these words. Yep. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according to the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin, for I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is ever before thee. Against thee, thee only have I sinned. And done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest, and be clear when thou judgest. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, thou desirest truth, 
Amen. in the inward parts. Right. Brothers and sisters, does not God still tonight desire truth yes. in the inward parts? Amen. The kind of truth that will cause you to do the right thing when yes. no one's looking. That's right. And when you go on your vacation and get away from the eyes of the sanctified people and from your co-workers and from your family, there will not be one compromise in your behavior because you have truth in the inward parts and your service is to God and not to the church and not to man. And that is what God wants. And that is what He is. That is where real communion with God, that is sanctification. That's right. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear, the, hear joy and gladness. He didn't have joy at this time. He didn't have gladness at this time. He wasn't dancing before the Lord as he wrote this psalm. This is a prayer of repentance. Brother Sam talked to the altar service the other day, just for a few minutes. It's beautiful. About repentance. And it touched me. The key ingredient to repentance is leaving your yes, sin behind you. And you never find repentance, never find forgiveness until you forsake the sin that is in your life. Sanctification is the thing that gives you the power to stay away from that sin. But until, you'll never find forgiveness until you turn your back on it. That's right. Amen. Create in me a clean heart. Oh, yeah. Can you just imagine a marred, sinful man that if God has the power to create the man to start with, make the Garden of Eden, made Adam and Eve, made them pure, that He can take a heart out of sin yes. and just fabricate it anew like Jeremiah went down in the potter's house yeah. and saw that vessel that was marred in the hand of the potter. Right. Imperfect. Imperfect. And the word of the Lord came to him. He watched the vessel was marred in the hand of the potter. And he made it again another vessel. As it seemed good to the potter to make it. And the word of the Lord came to him saying, O house of Israel, cannot I do with you as this potter? As the clay is in the potter's hand, so are ye in my hand, saith the Lord. If you will submit yourself and stretch yourself out on that potter's wheel, God can create in you a clean heart. That's right. Amen. And take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. And uphold me with thy free spirit. Skipping down. For thou desirest not sacrifice, else would I give it. Thou delightest not in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God. Thou wilt not despise. Now you can pray the prayer. You can get on your knees and read these words, but unless there is brokenness, the prayer will never be accepted. It will never be heard. And you can't pray to God. Your access is completely blocked. Psalm 51 is the only way. There's no other access when you find yourself condemned and depraved. It is the prayer, God have mercy on me, a sinner. Now, God God heard His prayer and pardoned His sin. I've often wondered, you know, if you read the rest of that story, that God went on to tell him that he had heard his prayer and put away his sin. But because he'd given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, the child that would be born unto him will surely die. And I've, 
I used to wonder why that child had to die. It didn't seem fair. It doesn't seem right for his sin. But just the other day as I read this Psalm 51 and I think about the millions of people through history who have come to repentance through these words, truly I can say it is God is good. His ways are higher than our ways. And you may not understand all of His judgments, but they are right and you can put your faith in them. I want to read you about another man. Talk for a minute about another man who went away from God. I started looking up and reading some of these prayers. And uh, this man, the word of the Lord came to him and had a job for him to do. He was a servant of the Lord. He was a prophet of God. And it said the word of the Lord came to Jonah. And y'all know the the story of Jonah. Y'all know the scripture about him. God had a job for him. I want you to go down to Nineveh, preach to these people. They're going to die. Their sin is wicked. Their iniquity is great. And destruction is coming, in, is coming quickly. And Jonah turned and went the other way and went down to Tarshish. The opposite way. Have you ever run from God? Heard His Word as His Word came to you and you knew it was right? You knew it? And went the other way? But it was God's mercy that went after him. That's right, that's right. It was, it was God's mercy that kept him alive in the midst yeah. of the storm that was out on the sea. He wasn't, he wasn't in the will of God. He wasn't doing what God had called for him to do. But God spared his life. Yes. And as long as there's life, there's hope. That's right. right. Amen. Scripture says a living dog is better than a dead lion. That's right. <laughs> so you're going, and here, I've not got time to read. I'm going to try not to read all this. It's not a long book, but I don't want to get too lengthy with all the reading, but I, what I want to get down to is Jonah. Y'all know the story. He got there on the boat and had the great storm and they were about to sink and there was these other men on the boat and they didn't know what to do and Jonah knew. He knew God was after him. And Jonah told him to cast him into the sea and they didn't want to do that. They didn't want his blood on their hands. Eventually that's what it came down to and they threw him overboard and the sea ceased from a raging. It says now, The Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. He had some time with God. Yeah, he sure did. No distractions. (laughs) No jobs to worry about. No telephones ringing. God had him sequestered. He had his attention now. Yeah, he did. He got him at his lowest ebb. I mean, everybody would give him up for dead. How he was in the belly of a fish and survived three days and three nights, I don't know, but it said that God prepared this fish. It could have been a special one of a kind God never made before or since. I don't know. But nevertheless, God provided for him. He got his attention. And that fish sounded. I mean, he was down in the depths of the sea. And there he was. There was God. Just like in Psalm 139. If I send up to heaven, thou art there. Make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. Take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea. Even there shall thy hand lead. And thy right hand shall hold me. But there there he was. Well, when Jonah got down in the belly of the whale, he began to pray. Sometimes people got to hit rock bottom, don't they? Yeah, they do. Imagine he was sober. Yeah, he was. 
No time for games. Why do you have to hit rock bottom? You don't have to. You don't have to. You don't have to do that. No. A lot of people have done it. And God's mercy be with you if you want to go that route. Yes. And it will be with you. It is everlasting mercy. David right. wrote in Psalm 136, he wrote a tremendous amount about the mercy of God. He experienced that mercy. Yes, he, he imparted that mercy to others. He was a man of mercy. And God's mercy was dear to him. He wrote that psalm. Every verse concluded, For his mercy endureth forever. For his mercy endureth forever. He began to recount the, the travels of the yes. children of Israel and come through that story. And they went across the Red Sea and slew famous kings. Yeah. Sihon, king of the Amorites. For his mercy endureth forever. For his mercy endureth forever. For his mercy endureth forever. You ever read that chapter? I don't mean yeah. read through it. Just breeze through it. By the time you get to end, he says, Who regarded us in our lowest state? For his mercy endureth forever. Oh, give thanks unto the God of heaven, for his mercy endureth forever. And as long as you have life, I believe it is God's mercy that we are all here tonight. He wrote, Jeremiah wrote in the Lamentations, It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed. Because his compassions fail not, they're new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. Somebody took those verses along with a verse out of the book of James and wrote that song. Great is thy faithfulness. O God, my Father, there is no shadow of turning with thee. Thou changest not. Thy compassions, they fail not as thou hast been. Thou forever will be. Well, so I believe that it is, in fact, God's mercy that worked it out in your personal life that you be here. And, and you may think you just go in and we take off work and this is what we do. We come down. God gave you a safe journey here. And you may have come to visit and socialize with family and just see different ones. But it was the mercy of God way back in your hometown that began to work circumstances that He might bring you here this week here this very night to hear God's word for such a time as this. It is the mercy of God. It's not of your own, your own choice. That's what you thought. God's mercy is on us. Each and every one of us, whether you're in the will of God or not, I believe His mercy is on your life. As it was on Jonah, even in his disobedience. But he prayed a prayer. Then Jonah prayed unto the Lord his God out of the fish's belly and said, I cried by reason of mine affliction unto the Lord, and he heard me. Out of the belly of hell cried I. And thou heardest my voice, for thou hast cast cast me into the deep in the midst of the seas, and the floods compassed me about. All thy billows and thy waves passed over me. Then said I, I am cast out of thy sight. Yet will I look again toward thy holy temple. The waters compassed me about, even to the soul. The depths closed round about me. The weeds were wrapped about my head. I went down to the bottom of the mountains. The earth with her bars was about me forever. Yet hast thou brought up my life from corruption. O Lord my God, when my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer came in unto thee, into thine holy temple. They that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercy. 
but I will sacrifice unto the Lord with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay that I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. And when he prayed that prayer, and I believe that wasn't all he said. He was three days and three nights. And I believe while he was in that fish's belly that God gave him a vision. And he began to realize and begin to see this great city and the multitudes therein marching to eternal destruction, marching to hell. And the word of the Lord came, and when the, it says that, then Jonah, it says, and the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach unto it the preaching that I bid thee. So Jonah rose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was in a great, a great city, an exceeding great city of three days' journey. He hit the ground running, didn't he? Jonah began to enter into the city a day's journey. A conversion. I mean a real repentance. A real, I'm serious. I will pay that I have vowed. I know salvation is of the Lord. And when he hit rock bottom and God brought him out from the depths of the sea over to the land, and the fish vomited him out. When he hit the ground, he was ready to go. He had a vision. He knew those people were going to die. And, and it was eternal destruction that God was angry with their sin. And when he had that vision, had that understanding, that put some urgency in his message. And I don't know, I'd love to have heard Jonah preach. When he come into town, I imagine he has a passion. The whole town began to fall out in repentance. And he began, as soon as he got into town, I don't think he sat down and had a meal. I don't think he rested. He began to come in and repent, saying, and he said, and yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. The Spirit of God must have saturated his message. Just covered, just covered him. Because the people began to fall out in repentance. And these are wicked people. And they were from a great city. No doubt they were proud of the city in which they lived. And I suppose in this day and time, Nineveh was, I don't know if it was the biggest city or not, but it says there were 120,000 people. And that's a big city by, by our standards, by the, by the standards back then. That was a huge city. This is a huge metropolis, a large concentration of people. His word was so powerful. His word was so strong that when the king heard it, now another proud man, a wicked man, sinful man, condemned before God, 40 days from his eternal destruction, took, stepped down from off his throne, laid aside his royal garments, got down in sackcloth and ashes. Now there the men of Nineveh are praying the prayer of Psalm 51. Now God's mercy is being imparted to thousands and thousands of people because that one man turned and repented and made it right with God. And when he did, he got that vision. Brothers and sisters, where there is no vision, the people perish. We need that vision. And when you spend time alone with God, and that's where it starts. When you get get all the distractions out of your life, get down with God's Word and spend time with Him. He will begin to show you that there are people right in our midst who are headed in in eternal destruction is in in their future. Hell awaits. And there's many in this building tonight, and I don't know anybody's soul. I'm not casting judgment, but I know the parable of the wheat and the tares. They were all grown up in the same field. They were right there together. 
perhaps to a passerby. You could not discern the difference. But the word of the Lord was, what Jesus told them was, when in the time of harvest, he said to the reapers, go and gather the tares, bind them and cast them into the fire and gather the wheat into my barn. It was that vision, that understanding that people are dying and that will put urgency in your word. It It will change your life. It makes the things we spend our time doing look so frivolous. Looks absolutely ridiculous the way we spend time and money. I I had a couple years ago, I began to... I'm going to share just a moment of time. I mean to say this, just a minute of testimony. We just a couple years ago, I don't know, two or three, and it was over a period of time, I guess, I began to study and read. and I began to see some of these scriptures a little bit different than I ever have before, and eternity seemed a little more real. You know, if you weighed every decision you made on the scales of eternity, it would dramatically change the way you live your life. That's right. Your values will change. Then you start to understand a little bit more of what God's telling you. And He would give you a little bit more of His Word. But it all starts, as Jonah did, in getting alone and praying to God. And when He gives you that vision, that understanding, now Satan will throw every distraction that he's got, and he's got a pile of them to distract you from eternity. Right. That's right. To keep your mind off what... You want to think about future life? That's fine. You want to think about retirement? That's great. You want to think about the jobs at hand, the responsibilities at hand, and they're important. I'm not saying they're not. I'm not suggesting that you quit your job and, and just abandon your family. That's not what I'm talking about. But when you, when you understand... When you get a vision that people in your midst, in your family, in your life, in your church, in your congregation need the power of Psalm 51, need healing, are lost, condemned before God, it'll really wake you up. And it'll really put urgency in your message and put a desire and a love in your heart for other people and you'll be less and less concerned about yourself. Anyway, what? <clears throat> well, they, the people repented. I think I got to that. And they had a revival, if there's ever been one. Yeah, they did. <laughs> and God spared that city, and He heard their prayer. And the 120,000 people, and also much cattle, were spared the wrath of God yeah. because they repented yeah. and believed the words of the prophet Jonah. I have one more scripture to read tonight, and I'll be through. But I think I'd be doing you a disservice, and I would be doing God a disservice. If I told you that God's mercy was on your life, it is everlasting mercy. It will never leave you. It is present. It is here. If I did not reason with you of righteousness and temperance and judgment to come. God's mercy is everywhere. I can't, sometimes I can't fathom it. 
It's, it's more than I can... Ever, all these people, and if anyone that has ever come to God, that is how you came. That's where it all started. Your first prayer that was pleasing to God was, God have mercy on me, a sinner. And all these, I've been, I'm not going to read all, I've, I've done a lot of reading about it. There's many, many, many scriptures, I couldn't read them all. God's mercy was, David wrote about it, Jonah wrote about it, not just them. It was written in New Testament scripture. It's been read a couple of times out here. The Apostle Paul wrote about it in Ephesians chapter 2. But God, who is rich in mercy for His great love wherewith He loved us, even when we were dead in sins, and that is when God's mercy comes to you. That's when it's given. All these, think about all the people from, that, from those days until now who have experienced God's mercy. It's, it's on everybody. It's everywhere. And yet you decide that you would rather have justice, that you would rather... No thanks. I, I, I'm all right. I don't, need, I, I don't need divine grace in my life. Because you have a temporal, your, your mind and your, your attention is, is immediate. It's on the flesh. And in the timeline of eternity, it's just a blip in the radar. If you have the most miserable life on earth, and I've just come to my, now, I have a wonderful life. Maybe I don't have any business saying this, but I believe that there are depths and heights in the love and the fullness of Christ that you can have regardless of what is going on in your circumstances. I'm stepping out on faith when I say this because it's in God's Word. That if you never have another pleasure, if you never have another joy, never have another time of en- another hobby, another vacation, another good, that you can live happy. That God's Spirit can fill you, give you joy over all the world, and in spite of all that is in your circumstance, sure you'll have sorrow. Sure, there'll be times, but God's Spirit can sustain and give you life, and you can be happy with that, knowing that your reward is eternal in heaven. And Satan is going to distract you from that ultimate goal. Charles Wesley wrote about it. On probably on a number of occasions, he wrote over 6,000 hymns. One in particular says, He left His Father's throne above. So free, so infinite His grace, emptied Himself of all but love, and bled for Adam's helpless race. Tis mercy all, immense and free, and oh my God, it found out me. Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke the dungeon flame with light. My chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. And can you, can you imagine how many, how many people who stand in, who had the most miserable lives as the Apostle Paul? Not just him. He wrote, but the multitudes of people who went through persecutions that we'll know nothing about, who endured afflictions of body and soul like Job did, yet said, if he slay me, yet will I serve him. Now in heaven today, rejoicing around the throne, we're going to spend eternity in company with those people. It is those people, and and I want to have something in common with them. If you're going to make it, you will. This second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you, in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance. This is 2 Peter chapter 3. 
that ye may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior. Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lust and saying, where is the promise of his coming? Right. For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. For this, they willingly are ignorant of that by the word of God, the heavens which were of old and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, whereby the world that then was being overflowed with water perished. But the heavens and the earth, which are now, are by the same word kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. I believe perdition is like the point of no return. I believe that. Yeah. Yeah. Ultimate eternal destruction. Now what happened to everlasting mercy? What happened to mercy that endureth forever? If in fact there is judgment and perdition of ungodly men. I believe this, let me read on. But beloved, be not ignorant of this thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Now, we quote this a lot, and this applies to every one of God's promises. This is, the Lord is not slack concerning any of them. And His mercy is everlasting, and it does endure forever. And as long as there are men and women on the earth, God's mercy will be extended to them. And we know God's Word says, One generation passed away, another cometh, but the earth abideth forever. He told Noah after the flood, that while the earth remaineth, and we've established by the Word that it abideth forever, while the earth remaineth, seed time and harvest, summer and winter, cold and heat, day and night shall not cease. That is the eternal mercy that he is talking about. It is extended to all mankind. But you as an individual, as a person who is accountable for your own soul, will come. This promise that he is talking about, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, is a promise of judgment. It is a promise of perdition of ungodly men. It is a promise of the day of the Lord that will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. That Now, as I read this, this is the way I understand this scripture and I feel... I feel good enough about it to stand here and give it to you, so that should that should be uh, that should be good enough. I'm leaning, trusting on God for this. <clears throat> I don't believe that the, this is talking about dogwoods and azaleas and pine trees. But when you stand before God in this day of judgment, you will be tried with holy fire. That's right. Yeah. 
It is a fire that will, in this presence of this fire, the earth, the heavens, and all the works that are therein shall be burned up. I believe it. Yeah. And your education is gone. Yes. Right. And your career is gone. Right. And your social status is gone. Yeah. Your financial status yeah. is gone. Yeah. Your name is gone. Your family ties, your family status is gone. Your friends are all gone. Your church is gone. Every relationship that you have is gone. You'll stand before God completely naked. All of this earth, all the things you've invested time in, that you've invested, all it doesn't, it's not going to matter what your all the what your rank was at the local tennis club. Yeah. And you may invest a lot, and nothing wrong with playing tennis. Enjoy that. But it's, it's worthless. No. Did you know that it'll be tried by fire? And every minute and every hour that you have given to the, to the things of the flesh will burn like a match in the presence of holy fire? What's going to be left? What will you have? Preach. Is God going to be impressed with your golf game? Preach. You're going to... Tell God about all the famous people you've ate and all the wonderful restaurants you've been to. All the trophies you've won and all the corruptible crowns you've collected are completely gone in the presence of holy fire. That is what this is talking about. The heavens and the earth which are now, which are in our midst, which are in our presence, will burn like a match in the presence of holy fire. And this is our responsibility to tell you, seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in all holy conversation and godliness? Looking for and hasting into the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. Peter is a spiritual man. He's writing to you about a spiritual place. He's so spiritual that in the first chapter, he completely abandoned the fact that he had walked with Christ. He actually heard God's voice when he was in when he was walking around and they took him up on the holy mount and he heard the voice of God it was a loud audible voice and sometimes you know if you ever wonder you know, had a decision in life it sure would be nice if I could just if I knew God would just tell me want to see it on a billboard sign Peter heard that and he was one of the very few in the New Testament that did this was Old Testament manifestations. He walked with Christ. And he writes this epistle, and he opened it up. I didn't go back and read it. That he heard, heard that voice in the Holy Mount, and he said, we have also a more sure word of prophecy. It was the witness of the Spirit. It was not an audible voice outside of his body. It was something bubbling up on the inside that witnessed to him that this was true. And he had eternal vision. This was, an, this was a man who wasn't worried about things of the flesh and things of the world. That's because he was looking for a new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look for such things, be diligent that ye may be found of him in peace, without spot, and blameless. I want you to, if you go home tonight, 
Now you may cross the threshold of this door tonight, and when you do, you'll be a, you'll, a decision will be made. That's right. It will be one of mercy or one of judgment. I want you to just consider for a few minutes <clears throat> eternal things and the value of eternal things. Amen. What are you going to have when holy fire tries your life Preacher. and it's coming? What is going to be left? Will you stand? Have you invested time and resources into things of eternal value? Amen. I think about all those things. That are, what, what will be left? What can possibly stand the, the fervent heat that will melt the earth and all the works that are therein? What is, somebody read about it over here this week, about the fruits of the Spirit. You start thinking about eternal things, not of things of this world, eternal things, the love of God. Yeah. These things are going to stand. Yeah. They're going to survive holy fire. Not just survive, but as it says, I don't remember exactly where that other scripture was. Corinthians chapter 3, about the fire will try every man's work yeah. of what yeah. sort yeah. it is. And he begins to talk about things that will come through, jewels shining brighter, more pure, more bright. It's the love of God. Yes. That charity that He gave you when you first got sanctified. Your first love. Yes. Right. Your dedicate, your service to God. The joy of the Lord that was your strength. That's right. All the years you walked in service to God. Peace that passeth all understanding. All of those wonderful things. And not the least of which is that prayer you prayed on that day of eternal fire. God be merciful unto me a sinner. Here it comes, finally in the end, rising above all, pure and beautiful and bright. I thank God one day I prayed that prayer. And you'll never Amen. come to God, never enter, survive holy fire until you have purged yourself from your sin and God has come into your life through the prayer of Psalm 51. So I don't understand all of God's ways, but I know that when I read those beautiful words in Psalm 51, I can understand it is good. Amen. It is good. Thank you, God. Thank you for these beautiful words. Yeah. And I let it challenge you tonight. I hope you understand that whether you make a decision tonight to come and pray this prayer, or whether you go out into the wild sea of the world, out and away from divine protection, away from the presence of God like Jonah did, I pray His mercy is with you. Amen. And I want you to remember one thing if you don't remember another thing that I've said tonight, that the prayer of Psalm 51 will forever live in the pages of Scripture to serve as a beacon and as a lighthouse. And when you get in trouble and when you hit rock bottom, and you will hit rock bottom, there is Psalm 51 to give you hope. Take it down and read it. And in that presence of God, there alone you can find forgiveness yes. when you forsake your sins. Amen. I love you all. Pray for me.